Hello and welcome to this Blackwell Online podcast. My name is George Miller, and my guest today is Tristram Stewart, author of Waste, Uncovering the Global Food Scandal. Tristram has travelled all over the world, from supermarket bins and landfill sites, to waste processing plants and pigsties, to try to gauge the extent of the problem of food waste, which, as you're about to hear, is much more extensive than many of us realise. I began by asking Tristram to tell me about a carrot-packing plant which he writes about in his book, which brought home to me just how much food is needlessly wasted in this country. Well, it was a revelation for me too, visiting the the carrot packer of a a farmer who was producing carrots for Asda. I can remember walking in, it was a bright, cold December day, traipsing through the mud into his packing yard where he puts all the carrots into plastic bags to go straight off to the supermarket. And I saw a big chest full of these carrots that had just come out of the washing house. They'd been topped and tailed and they were being piled up in this, this box bright orange beautiful carrots so I picked a couple up took a bite out of one and it was it was a really good carrot better than any I'd grown myself and I said so these must be your top end supermarket carrots he said no those are all going for animal feed they're the rejects we're not going to be able to sell them for human consumption I said what you know why why on earth not what what's what's wrong with them and he said they have a very slight bend in them and Asda insist that their carrots are dead straight. You have to get the peeler from one end to the other without any obstructions. So I tried to look unfazed and in we went into his packing yard and there was two enormous machines. Really fascinating piece of technology. All the carrots whizzing through at one end on a conveyor belt. Inside the machine is a camera and it looks at the carrots and it tests them against its sort of platonic ideal of carrotness, what an ideal carrot has to look like in terms of colour, shape and the rest of it. If a carrot doesn't meet those criteria, as it jumps over a chasm, a jet of air is fired at this carrot and the carrot, the reject carrot, will be blasted down onto a second conveyor belt and whisked out of the the packing house and that's just the first in in several chains of grading and ultimately rejection of perfectly good carrots and each of those carrots took up a piece of soil and ultimately I found that about 25% on average of um, this carrot farmer's crop was being either wasted outright, being fed to livestock instead of being fed to people or simply ploughed back into the ground before they were even harvested every single year and if you expand that from him to all the other farms producing fruit and vegetable in this country and all the others the waste of land water agrochemicals human labor time and effort and ultimately greenhouse gas emissions is almost incalculable it looks like between 25 and 40 percent of british fruit and vegetables get cast out of the food chain just at that very initial stage in production. And that's not including the waste that happens further down the supply chain with the manufacturers, the retailers, and ultimately with us. You say almost incalculable, and it's clear from the book that it is a very difficult calculation to make, just how much food is wasted in this country and around the world in any given period. Why is it so difficult to get a a fix on how much we waste? It depends who you um, want to blame for it. You could say that it's the government's fault that we don't know enough about this. There should have been, by now, thorough investigations with statistically relevant survey samples 
to estimate exactly how much is being wasted and what the causes are. Because with the causes of that waste come the solutions. It's very obvious that one of the main ones is to tackle this idea that fruit and vegetables have to be cosmetically, well, I won't even say perfect, because there's nothing wrong with the other ones, but cosmetically uh, uh, fit into these standards that are put by the supermarkets. So the first thing is lack of research. We need a lot more research. And then we need to move from the research into policies that, that will bring about change. It's up to us, the consumers, to convince the supermarkets that we don't want our land to be ploughed needlessly to produce food that ultimately gets wasted. We want to see all of those carrots, whether they're bendy, potatoes with eyes in them, strawberries that aren't the same shape as each other, all of them are on the shelves. We want to have access to them. At the moment, they're, they're kept from us. But the supermarkets are very secretive about the food that they waste themselves and the food that they cause the suppliers to waste. That's the suppliers in terms of the farmers and the manufacturers. They won't tell us. They keep that hidden for understandable reasons. People would be outraged if they really saw the extent of it. And so the next thing we need is transparency. We need the supermarkets to report how much food they waste every year. We need them all to do it on the same set of criteria. And then we can compare different companies and ultimately there will become then a competition to be the least wasteful one. Supermarkets defense is that they're simply giving the consumer what they want. Consumers want things which don't take long to prepare, not knobbly carrots, potatoes that have eyes to be picked out, and consumers like to see nice full shelves. So what do you say to that, that, this, that we the consumers are the ones who are actually creating this wasteful policy? Well it's a very very interesting question. It's a chicken and egg scenario. Do we want to hold the supermarkets accountable for these wasteful policies or do we hold the consumer's policy? And really it's a symbiotic relationship. But in answer to the question, you know, are the supermarkets creating this waste or are they just responding to consumer pressure? I obviously looked into that a great deal, spoke to various people in the industry, spoke to consumers, and it really looks like a lot of it is directly being driven by the supermarkets. So if you look, for example, at the profitability, the business model being projected at the moment by the supermarkets is, in terms of rejected fresh produce, they will say, we can get a higher profit margin on the premium ranges and a lower profit margin on the lower ranges of spuds or carrots or whatever. It therefore makes economic sense, they argue, to limit the amount of lower end they call it produce, and maximise the amount of premium stuff. Now, one of the pieces of evidence that they are directly involved in, in preventing consumers from accessing the lower end stuff is that when a farmer who is, so for example I visited a potato farmer who is supplying Tesco, and he explained to me that they have to make very sure when they get rid of their rejects buds that they don't get picked up by market traders or anyone else who's going to sell them for human consumption. They actually have to try and prevent that. They have to make sure that at the most it goes for livestock feed. And that implies that there is demand out there. There are consumers who don't care if a potato has an eye in it or a carrot is slightly bent. They're willing buyers and the farmers would be willing sellers. But the people who are controlling the supply chain, and that is the big retailers, don't want that to end up on the market because it would undermine the profitability of their higher range products. 
The counter-argument, and this was put to me by a member of the Potato Council, is that it could be just as profitable to market the whole crop. It's a different business model from what's being pursued at the moment, but it's not anti-profit. There are people in the industry who really do think we can market this. It's insane to be throwing away a huge percentage of our fresh fruit and vegetables. It's not good for the farmers. It's not good for our land. But also, it could be good for the retailers. We just have to convince them that that's the model we want them to follow from now on. And they're very much locked into their current model, aren't they? It's hard to budge them or to see them budging readily from that because there's no penalty to waste and this overabundance because the supplier bears the cost of the, the oversupply. And the, you, you write about you know, the markup on fresh produce, which is so high that it's, it's, in their, it's not in their interest to be, to be canny with what they have on the shelves because they lose so little by throwing away compared to what they gain by selling. The first thing is, it's not quite true that they're absolutely locked into the current business model. Already there are signs of change within the supermarket. Some of the supermarkets have started marketing knobbly fruit or, or wonky vegetables. And they know there's a market out there for it, and they are looking at it. What we need to do is push them in that direction. So it's not absolutely hopeless. That's the great thing about this. It's not a hopeless problem. We can solve it, and we can encourage them to, to, to change their policies. And it will ultimately work, I think. The second issue there is, as you point out quite rightly, that the losses they make through wastage do not reflect the true cost of causing that waste. This is one of the things that the Competition Commission has been trying to address with the supermarkets. At the moment, a supermarket can overorder ready meals or fresh fruit and vegetables from the manufacturer or from the supermarket, can make what they call a forecast order. We think we will want 100,000 sandwiches any day this summer. And then the day before, they'll ring up and confirm their order and it'll turn out to be 80,000. So you're left with 20,000 sandwiches and no one to sell them to. At the moment, the supermarkets are in a position of power where they can say to the supplier, you accept the losses on that, it's not our produce, it's yours, and therefore push the waste that they've caused further up the supply chain. And the Competition Commission has been, have been saying that is an unfair dealing practice, and they've been trying to reform it, and of course the supermarkets have been resisting, and we are awaiting the final resolution of this debate that has now been going on for several years and it will be finalised this year. If the supermarkets agree to, to the changes put forward by the Competition Commission, then all very well and good. If they don't, it will be referred to BIS, the new department of the government who are, who are responsible for it, and they may ultimately be, be obliged to submit to these new, what's called the Grocery S Standard Code of Practice. And that's a very important measure. We need, we need to, to introduce that. But ultimately, the really big costs are the environmental costs. Like I said, the use of the land, use of the water, the global, uh, the greenhouse gas emissions, all of these things are true costs to waste that are currently not reflected when supermarkets waste their food. They don't have an economic repercussion. And there, we do need to look at potential fiscal ways of dealing with that. So at the moment, there is something called the, the landfill tax. It's 48 pounds a tonne. If a supermarket wants to send, or a manufacturer wants to send food waste to landfill, that's what they have to pay. This has encouraged them to divert their waste food from landfill, to send it primarily now to anaerobic digestion or composting. 
that is much better than landfill and the government is right to have pushed this along. But at the moment there are no fiscal incentives to push food further up the hierarchy, so towards animal feed or ultimately towards human consumption. And there there is a case for introducing a tax on food waste irrespective of disposal costs. Not just on landfill but on wasting food per se and this will encourage the food industry to give whatever can't be eaten by humans to livestock rather than putting in anaerobic digestion and secondly to encourage the food industry when they end up with surplus to make sure that people are the end consumers because that's the ultimate aim of food is to feed people.